name is Mike Pagano. Uh, Greg is on vacation, a much needed time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord, so keep him in prayer. He's coming back this week, him and Calzetta. But uh, they, he asked me to, uh, to share this Sunday. So we're going to get on with it, and we're going to... We've got a lot to cover, and I've got a lot to give you, so bear with me if I go a little bit fast. We want to be able to do it in the time frame that we've got. But the title today is, Come to the God Who is Able. We're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, above all that we ask, according to the power that works within us. Ask or think, excuse me. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. A second verse that we're going to be looking, that I think coincides even with that verse in Ephesians, is come to me all you who are heavy, weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now, if God told us to him who was able, that would be awesome. Because you want to be able to go to someone you know is able to help. But through Paul, he also tell us, tells us to him who is able to do far more abundantly. In the King James, it says exceedingly abundantly. You see a pattern here. He's taking this step by step. Able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask. Far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. I don't know about you, but I can ask for a lot from God. There's a lot of things that I'd like to have from God. There's a lot of things that I'd love for God to be able to do for me. As far as thinking, uh, the King James also says imagination. There's an awful lot that I can imagine that I'd like to see God do. But he says he can do more than even we can ask, think, or imagine. According to the power that works within us. I'm going to challenge you numerous times today to focus and to answer that question in your own hearts. Do you believe that he is able? Do you believe that he is a God who is bigger than your needs, your problems, even your wants? Again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me. He also told us previously in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 8, it, he talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now please understand, this is not that we're going to have to go on a treasure hunt to find God's treasures. Okay, no. That means literally that in your entire lifetime, in your entire walk with the Lord before he takes you home, you're never going to be able to realize all the riches that he has for you. You'll never be able to say, okay, now I know everything he's able to do. Now I've experienced everything he has for me. In verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You're never going to be able to outstrip what God has for you. You're never going to be able to get to the place where I've, I've experienced it all. Now I really and truly know how much he loves me. Because every day, if it's a walk with the Lord, it's a new revelation of how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how, how, how much he wants to be in your life and for you to be in fellowship with him. Please remember, we serve a big God. Not a small God, a big God, an able God. 
I believe a God whose power and willingness to bless us always goes beyond our needs, man's needs, beyond our desires, even beyond our thoughts. Please think about that for a moment. That's the God that we serve, a personal God. We're not looking at pie in the sky here. We're looking about a real person, Jesus Christ. That kind of power he has available to us. In fact, that kind of power, his power, his Holy Spirit power works in us. Please don't forget that. It's not something you have to go with a cup and I'm going to fill this up. No, it's power that he puts in us and works through us and does in us. In Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites were running away from, the, from Egypt, trying to get away from the Egyptians. In verse 4, God spoke to, to Moses and told him, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. Jumping down to verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, Egyptians were marching after them. What caused them such consternation and worry and anxiety at this point, even fear, is because they had mountains to the left and to the right, and in front of them was the Red Sea. Behind them, here comes the Egyptians wanting to kill them. I think that's a, that's a point of, of uh, worry for them. Okay, you can understand it. But they did the, the right thing. The people cried out to the Lord. Moses said to the people, down in verse 13, verse 11 and, verses 11 and 12, they kind of complained to Moses about, you took us all the way out here, and now to just let us die. We would have been better off being in Egypt. But the God through Moses speaks to them here and says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. God took him to what looked like a trap. It looked like a place of no escape. Why? First, he wanted to close every possible avenue of escape but himself. As I'm going through these, ask yourself, have you ever been this place? Have you ever been exactly what we're describing here? Have you ever been to that place where every avenue of escape, every avenue of an answer for your problem can't be found except in the Lord? You know that old adage about, did you find what you lost? Yeah, it was in the last place I looked. Often it's that for us. Where did you find the help? The last place I went, God place I should have started, but it was the last place I went. Because when I went to him, I didn't have to go anywhere else. He wanted them to despair of their own human resources, resourcefulness, and trust him. Again, it's only human nature, but it's not God nature. It's not the nature that God wants to put in us. It's put in us to walk in the spirit, to be able to try and figure out, I'm going to fix this myself. He wanted to teach them that he can make a way when there is no way. Okay. Do you understand what, I was, what that statement says? He makes a way when there is no way. Our impossibilities are God's opportunities. Please, please remember that the next time you're facing a situation, it's like, there's no answer to this. There's no way out. Yes, there is. 
He wanted them to know salvation and deliverance is holy of the Lord. See, what they were experienced was fear. Fear can make you want to run from the problem. We can also feel despair and encouragement. That can take us down when God says, stand. We can also experience impatience or presumption. Impatience says, I have to do something. I have to find a way to fix this. I prayed, but God's not doing it, so I have to find a way. Presumption is, well, maybe God's going to do this, so I'm going to try and run over here and try that. If the Israelites had done that, they might have started to try and walk across the Red Sea. You know what they would have done? Been ankle deep, waist deep in mud and water and gone nowhere. Because they would have been before the Lord. They would have gone before him. Those are things we need to be careful of. God said, don't be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. He also said something interesting. Hold your peace. Be quiet. Just be still. Why is that important? I'll give you a confession. There have been times whenever I have wanted to run to a brother in the Lord. I've wanted to run to someone who I know has answers and I can get counsel from. Maybe even, I've even thought, well, if I tell them, maybe they'll have a way, and maybe even, because I know they've been generous people, maybe they'll even help me with the problem. No. The Lord says, hold your peace. The only person, when he takes you to that place, the only person you need to be talking to is the Lord himself. Going further on in Exodus, verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. If you remember when they were fighting the Amicalites, he raised both hands. So what that represents is prayer. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. He made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall of them on their right and on their left. God kept his word. He brought salvation and deliverance. But he did more than that. He gave them a way of escape. He let them walk on dry ground. That doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but can you imagine walking on the bottom of the Red Sea after the waters parted? For those of you who are fishermen, those of you who are outdoor people, you know what it's like to step through mud, okay? ankle deep or worse, and try and plod through that. Next time you call out to the Lord, realize he can dry up the mud too. How does that apply to us? It doesn't glorify the Lord when we slosh through ankle-deep mud of worry and anxiety as though we had a limited God. I'm not going to ask for anybody to respond to this if you've been here, but just in your own heart decide if this applies to you in any way or ever has. I'm obeying. I'm pressing on. But it's just so hard. I'm not sure how God can fix this. I'm trying to obey, but I'm just not sure how he can fix this. And finally, I'm trying, God, but I don't know how you can do this. And I don't know why I have to go through this. Oh, poor me. I have to go through this trial. Please, that's not, don't take that as I'm pointing a finger at anybody. We all do it. 
I've been there. I've been that, in that place, and all of a sudden the Lord speaks to me and said, how are you glorifying me with that kind of an attitude? The people around you are looking at you, if the people who know the situation, the problem that you're dealing with, and the need, and you're sitting there with a woe is me attitude, even though you're saying you're trusting me, what is that showing? Job, chapter 13, verse 15, Job said, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. See, even if you're in the middle of that trial and you're not sure where the answer is coming from or how soon it's coming, trust him. Even if he's making you go through something that's totally uncomfortable and even painful, trust he's going to get you through it. Why? Remember, he is more than able when we come to him when we come to him. In Joshua, chapter 6, beginning at verse 15, previous to this, the Israelites had walked around Jericho one day at a, one day a time for six days. Now on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and rushed around the city in the same manner seven times. Check this out. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the shout of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down. First, shouting with the trumpet. Sounds like worship service to me. They were worshiping the Lord as they were doing this. What happened? The wall fell down. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. See, a hole in the wall appeared. That would be a great blessing if a hole in the wall had appeared. Or the city gates were blown off their hinges. That would have been awesome. They could have said, awesome job, God. That's probably what, have, what Joshua would have asked for. But I want to encourage you, next time you come to a wall and pray for help, don't just look for a way around the problem. Don't just look for a crack or a hole that maybe you can crawl through. Maybe I can, oh, God's given me this little avenue I can make through. Pray that God will remove it completely. So in faith, you can walk over that wall. God is able. God wants to do that for us. How often we don't have all that God wants for us because we aren't asking, we aren't seeking, we aren't trusting. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Beginning at verse 1, this widow is saying, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know, she's talking to Elisha, you know your the servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be slaves. And Elisha said, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour in all those vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing. Finally, in verse 7, she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, you and your sons can live on the rest. 
She was obviously poor, but she didn't, we don't see her coming to Elisha and asking for, please help me with my poverty. She's saying, my sons are going to be taken away. Help me with that. What did God do? He not only took care of the problem, but he gave provision for her and her sons to be taken care of well past this, this problem. Pay your debts. You and your sons can live on their rest. That's a God. That's an awesome God to serve. But look at some of the things that he told, that Elisha told her. Go and get as many vessels as you can, not too few. Then what? Go and shut your door behind himself and your sons and pour in all these vessels. Go in your prayer closet. Go in your prayer closet and pray and seek me. You know, what we, you know how we limit God sometimes? Because we don't have an empty vessel for him to fill. The more you pour out to people around you, the more you take the blessings that God's given you and pour out to people into their lives, into their situations, you empty yourself and you allow the Lord to refill you. You give him the opportunity to bless you. And you have to be an empty vessel. You don't go there... Okay, God, I'm reluctantly doing this. You say to do it, I'm going to do it in obedience. But I'm going to resent it. I'm, why I'm not sure why I have to do this, so I'm not really happy about it. That's not an empty vessel. An empty vessel is you come with empty hands, you come and say, God, I can't do anything, and I trust and know that you can. Fill me. Fill me. That's a God who is able. New Testament, John chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, the disciples went to the sea, got in a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. And now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking in the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. In Matthew, the same scenario in Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, says that they were, he was walking on the sea and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. What's happening here? They're out trying, they're out rowing. God had, the Lord had said, we're going to go to the other side. Rowing, not getting anywhere, the strong wind, <coughs> excuse me, the strong wind came up. And what do they see? Them, to them, it was a ghost, Jesus walking on the water towards them. Again, how often have you missed God's blessings because you're not looking for them? And when they appear, you don't recognize that it's God's blessing for you. Trust that he's an able God. Look for him to be meeting the need. Look for him to be meeting you where you are. The wind was boisterous, it was dark, it was night. God is more than able. And look what he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Is there anything better you can hear from God besides you're saved and I love you? But other than that, it is I, be not afraid. Who else can say, it is I. Don't worry about it. Well, who are you? Jesus is God. 
So when he says, it is I, we can rejoice in that. They were glad to take him into the boat. When the Lord appears, when the Lord is trying to meet your need, you have to invite him in, guys. You have to. You have to be looking for him, and you have to invite him into the need, into the problem, into your situation. Again, come to me. Immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, it would have been one thing if Jesus just made it calm, and he said, okay, grab the oars. I'm going to take a drum, I'm going to beat it, and we're going to go stroke one. No, he didn't do that. They immediately went to the shore. God took them immediately out of the entire problem and took them to a safe place. I've been there, so I'm telling you from experience, when I've gone through a struggle and a trial, and I finally say, you know what, forgive me, Lord, I've been trying to fix this myself. I need your help. Bang. God takes care of it. And it's done. Sometimes he doesn't do it that way. Sometimes he makes me walk through it and still trust him, and he shows me the steps I need to take. But quite often, it's as though he's been sitting there saying, I want to fix this. I want to fix this. Just look to me. Look for me. And as soon as I recognize that and do it, God blesses because God is able. In John 21, Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat that the night, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, now that they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. This is awesome. The Lord said, Okay. Use different bait. No. He said, move the boat over there 20 yards. No. Put the net on the right side. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean it was the right or the left, because when Jesus said to turn it and put it on the other side, that was the right side. Because he knew. And you had a place where they didn't catch anything all night. In a matter of maybe six feet difference, they had so many fish in the net they couldn't even pull him into the boat. That's an awesome God who is able. But I need you to look at something for us. Because back in Matthew chapter 10, regarding Peter, the Lord says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. What does that mean? He's, Jesus is talking about how hard it is for a rich man. And Peter says, but Lord, we left everything, everything to follow you. He also, Jesus also told him in Matthew 24, 49, Paul, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. 
sit and wait. So what did Peter do? He got impatient and said, forget this, I'm going fishing. And they all joined him. So when he was out in that boat, when they realized it was the Lord, what did he do? It says that he put his outer garment back on because he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Any fishermen here? You're out in a boat. Not, not even in a boat. You're out swimming. You want to put your coat on before you go in the water? Maybe in Alaska it's cold enough. But Remember, when it says outer garment, we're talking about a tunic. Probably they didn't exactly have polyester then, so it's probably a heavy wool tunic. He put that on before he jumped in the water. Why? I have a question. If he really gave up everything to follow Jesus, where'd the boat come from? This is a fisherman, right? I believe the boat was sitting over there just in case this thing with Jesus didn't quite work out. I can go back to that. I know it's still sitting there in case this, you know, it sounds great. We're being blessed. We're having fun. But just in case, it's still over there. Have you ever been to the place where I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting God every step of the way. But I still have some money saved in the bank, so just in case. I'm trusting God to fix this. But, you know, I've got these friends. I know I can count on them. I've got my parents I can go back to. All these different scenarios. Everything except nothing counts but you, God. I believe Peter was simply making a decision in his mind. I'm not leaving my tunic here because I'm not coming back to the boat. I am once and for all done with it. I'm not going to have any more need for it because I am following Jesus with my whole heart. Are we ready to do that? Are you ready to say, God, you and you alone? Because you are more than able. You are more than able. Now, I understand that what we've studied today can be wonderful to talk about. It can be like a mountaintop experience, okay? Kind of like what the, the apostles did with the, in, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Or we'd love to stay in that place. It's great to talk about this being that sold out for the Lord, trusting him to that level, loving him that much. But we couldn't really live there because it's just too hard. How do we live every day trusting that God can find a way? Walking and have faith in having victory in our lives. Living like we believe he's more than able in any and all circumstances. I believe we go back to Matthew 11. Come to me. Come to me. See, when you really come to Jesus, when you see him, when you press into that relationship where you know he loves you and you know you love and need him, when you do that, when that happens, I defy you to doubt him. John 14, 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That becomes real as Jesus is as real in your life as he can possibly be. Those two can't be separated. 
They have to go hand in hand. Every time you get into personal contact with Jesus, his words become real. My peace I give to you in John 14, 27. In Mark 9, beginning at verse 16, as the Lord came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw a group of people arguing and talking. He said, what are you arguing about with them? This father came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down into the fire, etc. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. What was his response? Bring him to me. Do you have people in your life, neighbors, co-workers, family members, who you know need to know that Jesus is able? They need to know that he is the answer to those needs. That he is who they need to be Lord of their life. Bring them to him. But Mike, I can't get them to come to church. I won't even, they won't even let me read the Bible to them. Bring them to Jesus. You have access to the throne of grace. You have access to the throne room. In prayer, take them to Jesus. Don't give up taking them to Jesus. As long as they have a breath still in their lungs, as long as they are still here, there is hope. Don't give up on Jesus. You don't have to not give up on them. Don't give up on the Lord. Finally, in Mark chapter 14, verse 32, as they were going up to the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, the Lord took Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. I can't see a better example of who Jesus is for us. Because you know what? He always goes a little farther. He always goes farther than we can. He always goes farther than we think he can. As far as we can go, when we recognize it, Jesus can go the extra step. Jesus can take us to that place that he wants us to get to. Jesus can and will bless if we trust him because he is more than able. Finally, maybe you're saying today, My heart's grown cold, Mike. Sometimes I feel like that church of Ephesus. I've left my first love. Or I've got these things that I'm dealing with. Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe it's not a major sin, but it's still a sin that you just can't seem to have victory over. Still struggles. Please remember, we serve a God who is able. Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, Good news, family. Grace abounded all the more. God is bigger than those problems. He's bigger 
than the things that you're facing. He's bigger than the sins in your life, the failings. He's bigger. Trust him.